0: How's everyone doing? You got to be good, doing good after Mike's announcement, man. All right, well, it's only going to get better because I'm here. No, I'm just kidding. You're going to hear from the Lord. <laughs> uh, let's throw up that slide if we can. This is the verse that we're going to uh, kind of start with today. And the verse is from um, Proverbs, and it says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. That's actually in the uh, King James Version. How many of you read as your primary Bible, as your primary version the King James? Any King James people? Two people? No, just King James. Just King James. All right, two people. How many knew King James? All right, like three people. What about, uh, because when I I first um, got saved, I was reading the NIV. Is there any NIV people out there? All right. Like five or six of you? Good job. Oh, the 84? Okay. That's like, you know, the people do that with the King James, too. You know, you're going to turn into those King James people. You know, it's got to be the 1611 version or something like that. 1984. It's a good year. Lord, were you even born yet? Okay, a couple years later. That's all right. Uh, what do we do? NIV. How about NASB? Okay. N-A-S-B. What about the E-S-V? Okay, the E-S-V. (laughs) All right, well, I started with the N-I-V when I uh, first got saved. Then I actually went to the King James, which is when um, this verse was shared with me, and uh, my mentor um, shared the verse with me. So that, that version of it has kind of stuck with me. Then I went to the new king james for a tiny little bit then i went to the nasb then i went to and i'm still with the esv but currently i'm actually reading through the bible and i'm not even using any of those versions i mentioned i'm actually using a completely different version just to you know sometimes when you're reading through and you it's easy if you're not careful to kind of get stuck in a rut and you're just reading through your version and it's the same version there's benefits to staying in the same version because then you become more familiar with it and you know it better but Um, sometimes you can start to just gloss over things and kind of get a little fog in the eyes. So I'm reusing a different version as I read through the Bible this year, and it's been good because sometimes I'll be like, whoa, I'm like, I need to turn to my ESV and see how they say it. And it's just been good to kind of see some different um, translations. So where there is no vision, the people perish. Um, One, as I begin, I just want to echo what Mike Dean said um, and uh, with the Foundations Conference coming up, our, our theme or our title is A Clear Vision in an Opaque World, and really for the next few weeks, um, maybe even a month or two, I'm going to be sharing about uh, the vision of liberty, the vision for liberty, and we're going to really focus on the conference of having different speakers come in and talk on some of the key points about the vision for liberty and kind of get their insights and some different perspectives on it. So I really encourage you, February 22nd and 23rd, um, to do everything you can to make, um, to make it to our conference. Who's been to our conference before? Lots of you. Okay. Um, we call it, My dad used to call it the bond guarantee. He would guarantee, like, if you do this, I guarantee you're going to have an amazing time. And if there was any money involved, he'd always promise to reimburse your money if you were disappointed. So I'm giving the bond guarantee. If you come to it and you're disappointed, I'll give you your money back, all right? So um, it's going to be awesome. It's a good time for fellowship. It's a good time. We have some worship in there. It's a great time for teaching and to be built up in our faith. Um, Speaking kind of of being built up in our faith, we got some uh, amazing Bible quizzers here. You know that? You guys know what Bible quizzing is? Yes, Yes, some of you do. Anyway, um, we've been privileged to have Bible quizzing back in our church this year, and I got to see a little bit of it yesterday. I um, went into one of the quizzes, and man, we have kids that know uh, the word. You guys are memorizing John this year, right? Right. Okay. Um, And they know it, they know some of those chapters, like literally word perfect backwards and forwards. So it's encouraging to see our youth be in the word and memorize it. Um, we had our first upper room the other night, and uh, man, it was awesome. It was really, really good. We probably had, I don't know, 15 or 20 people, and it was a very sweet time of prayer. That's this, um, the last Wednesday of every month. The fourth Wednesday, I guess, is a better way to say it. Um, but a good time. Thank you for all that came to that. Normally... We actually missed our pro-life um, sermon because of the snow. Usually we take a couple Sundays to do that. And um, Diane went last week. Normally I would, I would just do it this week, but because the conference is coming up, I want to make sure I have plenty of time to um, talk about, preach on, discuss um, Liberty's vision. And so I will do a pro-life sermon, but it will be later um, in the year. But I am looking forward to that um, doing that. I think that's important for us to keep in front of us. So my new series that I'm starting will be devoted to the vision of liberty, and I'm going to begin by giving you all an overview of the vision and explaining it, and then spending a number of sermons going more in depth and explaining how it applies to us. Okay, So this is sort of the overview. Now, if I take my glasses off, um, I've got to put them back on so I can make sure I read what my notes say. <laughs> if I take them off, um, what do you think my vision is? Not good. I can. I, my vision is really, really, really bad without these. Thank you, Lord, for glasses. Um, if I have assistance, it's actually really good. But without assistance, it's pretty rough. I remember they made us do an eye test in fifth grade. I don't know if they still do that. It's kind of odd when I think about it. But in fifth grade, at school we had to do an eye test and so we went down the hall and I don't know if it was like an eye doctor or a nurse or something, um, but they had you stand, you know, the little line, it was probably a piece of tape or something, and they're like, uh, you know, read, read the lowest line you can. But as I was getting ready to, the doctor was like, I want to take off your glasses because I want you to read the lowest line without your glasses. I'm like, well, that's pointless <laughs> because it really was. I remember taking them off and he's like, read the lowest line. And I'm like, well, um, there's the big E at the top. <laughs> and I only know that because they all have an E at the very top. But I can't even see that, doctor. <clears throat> uh, so my eyesight since fifth grade has only gotten worse. Um, and I really don't like wearing glasses with uh, smudges on them. You know, So I clean my glasses just about every day. Uh, why? Because it affects my vision. It affects my vision. Anyone who can see has vision. Uh, They just might not have a clear vision. And the same is true when we talk about the vision for the church. Every church has a vision. Whether it's stated or not, um, a church has a vision. It's something that is kind of the thing that drives that church forward, the thing that the church focuses on. Um, And a church has one, even if they don't know they have one. Um, If they don't, have one. It means they don't have a clear vision. So the first thing required when we talk about a vision for the church, the very first thing is it needs to be scriptural. The vision has to be scriptural. Listen, every Fortune 500 company has a vision, but no Fortune 500 company out there has as part of its vision to reach the lost, right? But I would say that's foundational for a vision for any church. So the vision should look distinctly different from any other entity or organization. Why? Because the church has a special place in the heart of God. The church has a special role in advancing the kingdom. Microsoft, Apple, Facebook, they don't have a special place in the heart of God. The church does. It is the bride of Christ. Apple is not the bride of Christ. All right? Facebook, definitely not the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ has a unique role and a unique responsibility and a unique privilege in God's kingdom that no other company, no other organization or entity has. You hearing me? So different churches are going to have different visions. That's okay as long as the vision is scriptural. The Lord must build it and sustain it. Look at Psalm 127. Verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who, labor, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Now this is the case when it comes to anything the Lord sets before us. Notice The two different words there, uh, excuse me, the two similar words, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it, it's the same English word, it's the same Hebrew word. So the Lord's doing his work, right? But we're doing our work. But God has to do his work in order for our work to have any chance of succeeding. So unless the Lord builds the house, we can do all the stuff we want. And if the Lord's not a part of it, it will fail. We can do all the great programs we can possibly think of, but if God is not there, if he is not a part of it, if he is not at the center, and if he is not there encouraging us on, walking with us, blessing it, it will do no good. So this is the case when it comes to anything that the Lord sets before us. And it's true of this church. Okay? The Lord has to build whatever he's going to do through this church. It has to be first and foremost his work. And then we come along, and we help him build it. But the key is, we're helping him. We're helping him. Now, it might seem rather obvious that the vision of a church must be scriptural. Um, Don't take it for granted. Do not take it for granted. I am more concerned today about the state of not just the church, I will be even more specific, the evangelical church, and I'll be more specific than that, the evangelical conservative church. I'm more concerned than I have ever been. Um, It does not look good for people who claim to be conservative evangelicals. It doesn't look good. Um, I would expect the liberal branches of certain denominations to give in and cave to the culture and to the flesh, which they have, very sadly, uh, now we have certain conservative denominations starting to cave on biblical issues. So unbiblical views, you can see them espoused by believers. I believe they're saved, but they're unbiblical views espoused by believers on social media on a regular basis. Then I, I listen to sermons. I listen to sermons of people around here, and I listen to sermons of you know, more well-known people. But I listen to sermons... And you can hear unbiblical views espoused on a regular basis, conservative evangelical pulpits. So don't assume, don't assume that something is scriptural just because it has the stamp of the church, just because it has the stamp of evangelical, just because it has the stamp of conservative. Don't assume that it is scriptural. Okay? Sadly, those two aren't necessarily equating anymore. It has to be scriptural. Okay, this is the standard. This is the standard. For anything that the Lord is going to do, this is the standard. This is where we turn. Okay? This is the standard. Now, what is a vision? Now, it's not what you might normally think of in regards to visions that the Bible talks about. That's not what I have in mind. When the Bible talks about visions, it's usually in the context of like the Lord revealing something um, supernaturally. Maybe some type of event is going to occur or has occurred, and he's giving that particular person insight, information. Uh, To be clear, in terms of that, a dream occurs when you're asleep. You can have a dream from the Lord. A vision occurs when you're awake. You can have a vision from the Lord. But when we use the term vision in the context that I'm talking about, the idea is more focused on, like, what is the Lord putting on the heart of this church and its leadership to accomplish. At the end of the day, what is liberty all about? And the vision a church has will answer these questions. Where does the Lord want to take us? What does the Lord want us to do? What does the Lord want to see accomplished here? And what are the objectives the Lord has us working towards? Now here's the thing. This requires much dependence on the Lord. Because there's 66 books here with a whole lot of information. And us as an individual church can't do every possible thing that we could possibly think of for the kingdom. At least we couldn't do it well. And I believe we're called to excellence. So it requires much dependence on the Lord because the question is, what does God want liberty to do? What does he want this church in 2019 to do? That will look different for a church in O'Fallon, Missouri than it will for a church in Naples, Florida, than it will for a church in Los Angeles, California, than it will for a church in Central America, Belize. Okay? It's going to look different. Okay? So we have to depend on the Lord to clearly discern what he wants us to do. What does he want us to do? So we depend on him. Look at Proverbs chapter 16. Here's what it says in verse 9. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Again, we can come up with all the things we want to do, but at the end of the day, we have to depend on the Lord because he is the one that will establish what he has set out for us. In our own lives and with our families, we depend on the Lord to show us the way. The same is true for the church. Listen, God said to Abraham, Go. Right? Go. And he had some promises attached with that. And Abraham was required to trust the Lord each step of the way. But Abraham was not given, like, you know, a 12 slide PowerPoint presentation with little details. No, he was told to go. Right? So he went. So we have to depend on the Lord, we have to hear his voice, and then we have to obey it. Look at Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15 is is what's called the Jerusalem Council chapter where they're dealing with some issues that have come up in the life of the early church. And they decide to write a letter to the Gentile believers. And so it says in verse 22, although we gave them no instructions. It has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Now stop right there, because that's what I want you to see. It has seemed good to to the Holy Spirit. Well, how did they know that? How did they know that? Because they were together, discerning the will of the Lord. They were searching the Scriptures. They were praying. They were seeking His face. So it seemed good, it says in verse 28, First, to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, and then he lays them out. So when we talk about something like this, we need to realize we are dependent on the Lord, dependent for what he wants us to do in our own lives. Right? Each one of you has a calling of some sort. You have a calling, a vocation of sorts. And... God wants you to be faithful and discern that calling from him. For some of you, that might be a student. For some of you, that might be as a mom at home. For some of you, that might be in the workforce. Each of you has to discern clearly from the Lord what that vocation is. But then you can take it one step further, because no man is an island, okay? You're not just little individuals running about. You're part of a family. Even if you're a single person here, you're part of a family. And you need to discern what does that look like? What is the calling for your family? Your family has a calling. So you have to discern, as a family, as a family unit, what does God want you doing? Where does he want you fellowshipping at? What does he want you involved in? I mean, all sorts of questions. Does he want you involved in these activities? Does he want you involved in these activities? Does he want you serving over here? Does he want you serving over... Okay. But your family has a calling. But then... There's the calling that you have with the church. The church itself has a calling. The church is called, the family is called, and the individual is called. Okay? And the church is called to be what? The salt and the light. It's called the bride of Christ. And these things we see in Scripture, and then we want to carry them out. We want to be faithful to it. And we have a calling on this church Okay, we have vague, vague maybe that's not the right word, but general principles that the church is supposed to do. Then the question is, how do we apply those principles in the here and now? How do we apply it in 2019 to Liberty Church? And then we discern it and we walk it out. Why even have a vision to begin with? What's the point of having a vision? Well, it gives direction to the church. It gives focus for the church and gives clarity for the church. Uh, One of my early mentors, Tim Ward, many of you know. We can throw that slide back up. Where there is no vision, the people perish. And I remember him telling the story. I think he told it a couple times, but he told the story of this church. um, And that was like the sign that was over the church where there is no uh, vision, the people perish. And what happened to that church is a lot of, you know, kind of like squabbling started to take place and infighting and the church was being torn apart. And one day, they showed up for church on Sunday, and the first letter of the first word had fallen off the sign. And instead of saying, where there is no vision, the people perish, it says, here, there is no vision, and the people perish. So we need vision for clarity. We need vision to give us direction. We need vision to give focus to the church. And if we are not careful, we can get stuck on looking at ourselves. And we can get stuck on silly little fights. So the vision is for clarity and preciseness. A vision is like a rudder on a ship to make sure we're staying the course. But it's also like a map to make sure we're headed in the right direction. And it's also like an anchor to make sure we don't go adrift. We look to the scriptures to see what direction the Lord has told this particular church to take. Now, when it comes to Liberty's vision, our vision is seen in three key words. Belong, flourish, and go. All right, everyone say that with me. Belong, flourish, go. All right, there's going to be a quiz afterwards, and you better all pass it, okay? <clears throat> Let's talk about belong for a second. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. Let's start in 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. So look back at verse 23. I think some versions say it a little bit differently, but the focus there is on the word belong. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So what does it mean to belong to Christ? Well, it means to trust in him, to put your faith in him the forgiveness of your sins. That seems like such a simple message. You can give a gospel presentation just as simple as that in 15 or 20 seconds. It's important for us to remember that and to remember the gospel. We need to belong to Jesus. That's first and foremost. If you want to belong, you got to you got to have the faith in Jesus. You got to trust But if we belong to Jesus, that means we are also his bride. And think about it. Who does the bride belong to? The groom, right? The bride belongs to the groom. And belonging looks like being part of the family of God, but also belonging to the local body of Christ, which displays that. So belonging, you belong to Jesus, But if you belong, he says, you are the bride. You belong to Jesus because you're the bride. And guess what? That's the groom that you want. That's the best groom. All right? Single ladies, look for a future husband that displays those attributes of Jesus, the best groom. So belonging looks like belonging to Jesus, Okay? You're a believer. You've put your trust in him. But then belonging looks like not just kind of oh, hitting church every once in a while, but really being a part of the church. Now think about that. Why? Because you belong to the bride. You are part of the bride. If you're part of the bride, then you want to visibly display that. Okay? First to yourself. Like, make a statement. Like, I do believe, Lord. I'm going to do something about it. It's as simple as going to church to begin with, but then also as a statement of faith to your family, and then also as a witness to those who don't know Christ. You belong. You're in. Now, throughout Scripture, when you read it, and I hope you do, you see plurals all over the place. Okay? There's a lot of we's and a lot of us's and a lot of the plural form of You. In fact, I was reading in my Bible yesterday, and the word you was used. It's unfortunate that you in English, we don't know if it's singular or plural. It's very sad. Um, So I was reading, and it said you, and I was like, well, is that the singular or the plural? Because that kind of does not make a difference in this particular context. So I looked into it, and it was the plural form. And I was like, whoa, that's crazy that it's the plural form in this particular passage I'm like, was just scratching my head for a second there. <clears throat> but you get this picture when you read the scriptures, even letters that are sometimes written to individuals, or even statements being made to individuals, even by Jesus sometimes, the plural is used. The plural. Why? Because the idea is it's not just a bunch of like, we're not just like a bunch of individual units. We're not just like doing our own thing, okay? You're not over there doing your thing, and you're not over there doing your thing. No. We are in this together. We belong to one. And that is an expression that we see. Okay, In our pluralness, we have a unity. So a bunch of individual yous, you, 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 but one plural you. So that's how we're addressed in the scripture. So we belong. That's the first word. What's the second word? Come on, I can't even hear you guys on that one. All right, that's better. Flourish. Let's look at John 15, verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So the second word is flourish. I want to see everyone here grow. I want to see everyone here grow spiritually. And here's the thing. I want to see everyone here flourish as disciples. Flourish as disciples. With birth comes growth. With birth comes growth. If you are born again... Then there will be growth. Now, when a baby is born, what happens when it stops growing? When it's young, like everyone starts freaking out, right? If if a baby hits a period for a while where it doesn't gain any weight, the mom's freaking out, the dad's freaking out, the nurse is freaking out, the doctor's freaking out. And one of our kids, the first couple of years of their life, for about six to twelve months, didn't gain any weight, and we're seeing all sorts of doctors. And everyone knew we were concerned. Why? Because with birth comes growth. And if there's not growth, it usually indicates something is not right. Well, guess what? New birth leads to growth as well. So I'm talking about in the church, there should be growth in your life. In the home, there should be growth in your life. In the workplace, there should be growth in your life. As believers, God wants us to flourish That's what that verse is talking about. Bear much fruit. So we flourish as disciples. We flourish as disciples. And then the third word, what's the third word? Go. Finally, we go. We go in service and mission. We go in service and mission. Picture for a minute someone who wants to be a scuba diver. You've got to go through tons of training to get to the point where you're certified as a scuba diver. Well, think if you, you went through that weeks, maybe months, you get all the training, you have all the cert- certification. Picture if you knew someone who did that, and they put on all their gear, and they fill up their bathtub with four inches of water and go sit in it and act like they're scuba diving. <laughs> okay? <laughs> That's, first, awkward. But it's kind of silly, right? They're way overqualified for the little task that they've put before them. So we don't want to just flourish and flourish and flourish and gain all this knowledge and get all this wisdom. We want to take that, what the Lord has blessed us with, what he's doing in us, and we want to go forth with it. If we're not careful, we end up like the scuba diver in the bathtub. We can have all the wisdom and all the knowledge and we're overqualified, and we put this tiny little task of scuba diving in the bathtub. Okay, God has much greater things, but we're willing to accept the tiny little task. He wants much greater things for those that are flourishing as disciples. Don't sell him short. So it's go in service and mission. What's the service aspect of it? It's ministering to people's needs. It might be feeding the hungry, helping with school tutoring, building a home. We're meeting people's physical, tangible needs. That's the service part, and that is important to do. What's the mission part? Well, the mission part is the vital part. It's a part that you have to be very intentional to make sure you don't leave out of your going. Because we can come up with an amazing program to feed the hungry physically but one day they will perish on this earth and if they don't have the food that lasts eternally then all the food that we've given them here has been for naught so we need to make sure that as we go we go in mission it's taking the gospel forth okay that is the mission to go forth. Do we meet people's needs? Yes. And sometimes by doing so, the door opens for that gospel to be received. And sometimes you'll see those things go hand in hand, service and mission. But the mission has to be there. The gospel has to be there. Otherwise, you are just giving people a temporary substance. They need The eternal water that John talks about, uh, Jesus talks about in John, pardon me. Okay, all of these things belong, okay, belong to the body of Christ. Belong to the body. Not just the body of Christ, first and foremost, belong to the body of Christ, meaning you're part of Him, but then belong to the local body. Like, really belong. Not a fringer, but belong. Then flourish as disciples. And then go in service and mission. All of these words, they tie together. And they're linked together. So as you belong, you start to flourish. And as you flourish, you're going. Okay, They kind of feed off one another. Now, if we look forward, which we're going to be doing over the next few weeks, look, as we talk about some of these things and what's best for liberty and where we need to head and where we're going to go, um, some things... That we're doing, um, we might need to rekindle some of those things. We might need to start afresh. Other things we might have to let things fade away. Some things we need to start a new fire, and some things we simply just need to get back to, some basics that perhaps we've forgotten about. Um, this means change. And some people fear change. Who doesn't like change? Just about everyone's hand probably should be raised. Maybe you like good change. You probably like um, the change of your salary increasing at work, right? You you don't fear that change. But you probably fear the change of losing your job, okay? Most don't like change. I get that. Um, But if we don't change, we can end up being satisfied with the status quo and we just fall into a rut and do the same old, same old, and that's not good. And some people, though, say, okay, then we'll embrace the change. Well, that might be a good saying, um, but some change really is hard to embrace. What we really do is we embrace the Lord who is bringing the change. We embrace him. So we trust him as things around us change. Some change he might bring directly, some change he might bring indirectly, but we embrace the Lord as the change occurs, and we trust him, and we honestly pray that the Lord would change us, right? So when the Lord brings change, and he always does, we need to be moldable. Listen, um, your own future, your own future, your own individual futures here, and the future of this church lies with the Lord. Do you believe that? You know, when they filmed The Lord of the Rings, uh, the character for Gandalf, uh, Ian McKellen, he would always carry around, in in his actual wizard's robe that he wore, uh, he would carry around whatever particular book from The Lord of the Rings that they were filming at that moment. So if they were doing the Twin Towers and that's what they were filming, he'd have that copy in his wizard's robe, the actual one he wore in the movie, Because he wanted to feel the weight of the book so he was reminded of the weight of the role that he was playing. Now, I want us to feel the weight of this book and the role that we're playing in God's kingdom. So wherever we go, we should feel this weight. Uh, Before smartphones were a thing, I had one of those tiny little pocket Bibles. And I had it in part so I could maybe read it when I was standing in line at the grocery store. But really, it was there just to remind me as a constant reminder. I kept it in my back pocket, a constant reminder that God's Word was with me and I needed it with me at all times. Even if I wasn't reading it, the constant reminder that it was with me and that I needed it. So I want us to feel the weight of this book. We have the privilege of being a part of God's kingdom. It's a privilege, friends, to be a part of his kingdom. Yes, there's responsibilities, and sometimes those responsibilities are very challenging and hard. But we have a privilege of being a part of God's kingdom. Kingdoms have citizens, and citizens have duties. And I believe our duties are captured in the three words, belong, flourish, go. And I'd like each of us to get the heartbeat of what God is wanting to do through this church. And I said it about a year ago at one of our members' meetings, and I'll say it again, I believe, I truly believe, Liberty's best days still lie ahead of it. And we've had some great, amazing days in the past, so it's not to take away from that, but I believe even more, hear me now, I believe even more, lies in store in the future. But here's the thing. That is not just going to magically happen. It will not happen if we just continue with the same status quo. It will not happen just going through a routine and falling into a rut. Okay? It will happen as we seek the Lord. It will happen as we belong. It will happen as we flourish as disciples. It will happen as we go in service and mission. The Lord wants us on target for something. And this is what I believe it's for this church in 2019. For us to belong, flourish, and go. It will take everyone to make that a reality. And it is my prayer that you and others will want to be a part of it. Uh, Not as observers, but as kingdom workers. And I believe if we do that, if we covenant together, we will see an amazing, great work from the Lord. God's done some amazing, great stuff through this church already. We're roughly, uh, what is it, 22, 23 years old. Okay, Um, We've got many more years ahead of us, many more years for God to do even greater things, I believe. And he wants us, all of us, to be a part of that. Not just sidelined observers, but players in the game. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your heart, for the bride. We thank you for the local expression of different churches, God, that you're working in, that you're working through. And Lord, we acknowledge If you're not here, then it's going to be an epic fail. We acknowledge that we need you each and every day. We acknowledge, Lord, and confess that we need you here, breathing life into each one of us, God, breathing life into your church, the bride. We confess, Lord, that at times we have not done the greatest job of that, and we ask you to forgive us, God. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to set our hand to the plow in 2019 for what you have for us. That we would go forth in service and mission, whatever you call us to do. Some of it might be a little unnerving. Some of it might get us out of our comfort zone, Lord. But we are citizens of your kingdom. So we look to you, the King, and we carry out what the King wants. So help us to be faithful, Lord. We want to flourish. As disciples, we want to flourish as your children in your kingdom. So, Lord, give us sweet times in your word. I pray for a revival in the hearts of the people here in your word, God, that they would get back to some of the simple basics of being in your word and being in prayer. That they would make that commitment now, Lord, to make 2019 a year where they're serious about you and serious about their commitment to your word and knowing it better. And I do pray, God, that you would bless our efforts as we go. We want to see the lost saved. And your word says, it is not your desire that any should perish. And that's our desire, God. We echo your desire. So, Lord, let us see the lost come to know you. Let us Endeavor as we go to do things that you set on our hearts that are fruitful, spiritually and numerically. Lord, we want to be a blessing to this community. We want to be a blessing to our neighbors. We want to be a blessing to our coworkers. We want to be a blessing to our family and friends. And we can best bless them with the hope of Jesus Christ. So let us be willing To do that, let us be the salt and light, Lord, that you want us to be. Lord, touch our hearts, fill us with your Spirit, give us the power of the gospel, which is unto salvation. For your glory, God, for your glory. We pray this with the authority that you give us in Jesus. Amen.